Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. Shall we read one more time? From the seven again. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let us pray. Oh Father, it is a grand thing for a mortal man to take your words upon his lips and speak on your behalf. It is a task that I do not feel qualified to do this morning and one that I approach with a trembling heart. Lord, we ask for your help this morning that as your word goes forth, it will go forth with clarity, with conviction, and in the power of the Holy Ghost. Bless your word amongst us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Let us love one another. There's an interesting story in the history of the church that comes to us by church tradition about the end of the life of the Apostle John. Now, the difference between church tradition and church history proper is that tradition are basically, or church tradition are things that pass by way of speech. So sometimes you, you, you have to take it with a pinch of salt. So it is often not true. That is, you may not find enough evidence to support some of the things that come to us by way of tradition. For example, Church tradition tells us that the Apostle Peter was crucified upside down. In his tradition, it was spoken and then it became accepted that Peter was crucified upside down. But we don't have it in the scripture. And you would be hard-pressed to find enough evidence to support the fact that Peter was crucified upside down. So that's tradition. One of the stories that come to us by way of tradition about the end of the life of the Apostle John was that John grew to be very, very old. He grew to be a very old man. And at the end of his life, he still desired to preach. So he's very old and weak and sick, 
and cannot even walk, but he wanted to preach. And so some of his disciples would carry him as the, the friends of that paralytic man carried him. They would carry him and bring him to the church then at Ephesus and John would preach. It got to a point that he lost his ability to speak very well. And when they draw him and say, preach to us, John would keep saying, little children love one another. Towards the end of his life, when he could no longer preach, what he could say to the church was, little children love one another. So one day, one of the people in the Ephesus who had been wearied by love one another, love one another, love one another, asked John, why do you always say this? Why do you emphasize this Sunday after Sunday? Little children, love one another. And John said, remember his tradition, that because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. Because it is the Lord's command, and if this only is done, it is enough. Now, we don't know the accuracy of this story. It was written by Jerome, the, 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 the historian in the 4th century. But it makes sense in light of what we've been looking at in 1st John. That he hammers this over and over again. Little children love one another because it is the Lord's command. As we have moved through this episode, we saw in 1st John chapter 2, verse 7 to 11, that he talked about love and light. That will prove that someone has moved from darkness to light is love. And in chapter 3, from verse 11 to 24, which we looked at a few months back, he says that the person who has eternal life will love. And for the last time, you know, he took a break at the end of chapter 3 to tell us about the different kinds of spirits, false prophets, and now he comes back to it. He's not tired. He's telling us again and again, love one another. And in fact, he now takes his arguments to the highest realm. He takes it beyond just talking about light and darkness, beyond just talking about eternal life, and he places this matter of love in God himself. It is as though he's trying to argue and argue and argue, and then when he comes to the end of his argument, he says, don't forget this last one. God is involved in this matter of love. And our text, he tells us at least three times, love one another, verse 7, let us love one another. Verse 11, he says, this is how we ought to love one another. Verse 12, he says, if we love one another. So the main thing that the apostle wants to communicate to us gathered here this morning is this truth. Little children, beloved children of God, let us love one another. And he brought us on to this duty by giving us three reasons why we ought to love one another. And the first reason is this. Love one another because God is love. Look at verse 7. Let us love one another for love is from God and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. He's talking about now the divine origin of love. And John talks about the divine origin of love in two ways. He tells us that love is from God. 
And what it means to communicate to us is that love flows from God. The same way we say that light comes from the sun and that water comes from a spring or a well or a river, it is proper to say that love is from God. Wherever we find true love in its pure form, it is always coming from God. It would have come from God. There's no such thing as love proper that does not flow from God. And remember, the last time we looked at uh, the, 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 the love passage in chapter 3, we talked about some markers of true love. How do we know what Christian love is? And one of the things we said then was that when we find proper love, it will not be discriminatory on the basis of who I like or who I don't like. And the reason I emphasized that the last time is sometimes many of us, when it comes to this command of love, feel that we are doing it enough. But upon closer examination, we are just loving and liking those people we've already liked. In fact, I would say this that the truth is, if you are actually loving the brothers, is if you are showing love to the person you don't like. And if we are all honest, unless we are just going to be lying and be hypocrites, we don't like everybody. I don't like everybody. You don't like everybody. So people just turn us off. The way they talk, the way they walk, the way they do something. There's just something off about that person. So people don't know where to keep quiet. I don't like this person. So true love would not be a Christian saying, I know I don't like certain things about this. I'm not going to fake it. I know I don't like it, but I will love this person. We said also that true love will involve a thoughtful decision to treat someone in a particular way, whether I like him or not. To say, I'm going to treat you as a brother in Christ because the seed of God abides in you, whether I like you or not, whether I like how you talk, I'm going to treat you as though I really like you because you are a brother in Christ. And we say as well that true love will always be visible. It is not the thought that counts. It is not, I'm thinking about you. It will only be visible and outward. If you look like us giving of ourselves to one another, showing care, practical concern, taking those things that matter to us, our resources, our time, our energy, and giving it out. And wherever you find this kind of love, this self-sacrificial, self-giving, non-discriminatory, thoughtful and intelligent love, it would have flown from God. That's what John is saying. That proper Christian true love is from God. But now gives a stronger argument, really, in talking about the divine origin of love, and it comes out that God is love. And what John is not saying is God loves. The way we say God rules over the whole earth and the heavens, or God gives freely. No, 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 no. He's not saying God is a loving God. No, he's saying God is love. That is, who God is in his essence is love. And that love is the very nature of God. Love is not merely something God does. Love is who God is. In John chapter 17, when Jesus began to round up his prayer, he said, he talked about the love with which the Father loved him before the foundation of the world. 
Before the foundation of the world, perhaps the Bible doesn't tell us so much about the justice of God. The Bible doesn't tell us so much about the wrath of God. The Bible doesn't tell us so much about the mercy of God. But the Bible tells us of the love of God, which is something that God is in and of Himself. So, we don't have to treat love as one attribute against the wrath of God. So, in the Old Testament, there's the angry God, and in the New Testament, there's a loving God. When we say God is love, everything that He does is loving. Because it flows from Him, His wrath is a loving wrath. His holiness is a loving holiness. His judgment is loving judgment. His anger is in love. Everything that God does is love. Because God in and of himself is love. And John tells us that this is a reason to love one another. Because God is love. But how is this really a reason to love one another? As we are gathered here this morning. You see, to love is to prove that you are of God. If God is love and everything that proceeds from God is love, and you claim to have been born of God, and you have proceeded from God, then what should mark you is love. Love because it is the proper marker of those who have been born of God. In verse 7, he says, Whoever loves have, have been born of God and knows God. A child will always have a family resemblance. Now I am about six feet four, six foot four. So I'm very tall. So when I was growing up, I was primary six, I was taller than my father. And so people would come and ask me, what do you look like? So they asked because my mom was already late. My mom died very early. So I mean like my mother, no, my mother is like my father. I'm not like my mother, I'm not like my father. So who are you? Who do you resemble? I said, I don't know. Until sometime we went to the village, myself and my dad, and we went to see his mother's people. And then the moment they saw me, they started shouting, Hey, GK, hey, GK, hey, GK has returned. Who is it? I'm not GK. Who is it? And then they told me that your great grand uncle was a very tall hunter. You are tall just like him. And the woman, out of excitement, went inside and brought the picture and said, Look at it, he was a great hunter. I have many wives. <laughs> and so when I came back from that day, when you say, who do you look like? I said, I look like HK. And yet, I, I resemble somebody in my family. The family resemblance for those who are in the family of God is love. So that when somebody does not love, there's a resemblance. A person who says, I know God, I am born of God, and there is no love, is like saying, there's dry rain. There's no such thing as dry rain. There's no such thing as a person who is part of the family of God who does not love. And so this is a reason to love. If you are truly a child of God, you will love. And look at this. It says, anyone who does not love does not know God. There's no, there's no talking about maybe the person has a temperamental issue, maybe he just has anger issue. If a person does not love, John says, there is no true knowledge of God. They may be knowledge about God. They may be knowledge about the, the five points of Calvinism, about the doctrines of grace. But if there is no love, there is no true salvific knowledge of God. 
John takes this to the height of his, this is the height of his argument. Today we pride in the fact that we know so much, we read so much, how are we pride in the fact that we know so much? Because John says, it's only not to have the doctrine. You may have the doctrine, right? You may have the right, you may, you may be able to tell us about who Jesus Christ is, about the Bible, about church history, about so much, but John said, if you do not love, you do not know God. We must love because God is love. And if we are truly from God, love is the family of the He gives us a second reason why we must love. He says love because God has loved. God has loved. And he's basically arguing from the fact that there has been a manifestation of the love of God. So it's not enough to stop at the fact that God is love. You hear today that why are we not more loving as Christians? That then somebody says, I am lesbian. The proper response in love is to affirm. A man comes and says, I am she there. The loving thing is to affirm that you are a she slash them slash whatever. I saw something not long ago. Somebody who said the, the, gender, the gender is now X. And he says, the reason my gender is not X is because I'm not free from traditional, so the, the non-binary is not enough. My own is not X. So I'm not free to metamorphose from one place to another. And some Christians come up and say, hey, but God is love, so accommodate this person. So if we stop there and say God is love, it seems a bit abstract. But John doesn't stop there. He gives us his second reason. We must love because God has loved. There has been a manifestation of the love of God. Now, biblically speaking, throughout the Old Testament, what we saw was time and time again the manifestation of God's love. So, even when God chose Israel, it was the manifestation of His love. When God redeemed Israel, when God <laughs> delivered Israel from exile, when He protected them, it was all the manifestation of God's love. So much so that the prophet was here. God had to use him to be a demonstration of the kind of love that he had for his people. So there have been manifestations of God's love. But there has been a final manifestation of God's love. That is, this is the way that the love of God is finally and ultimately seen. This is the way that the love of God is properly known and identified. Look at verse 9. He said, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is the greatest love there is. This is the highest love there is. This is a perfect God showing love in its purest form. And let us look at these words of John and see how great this love is. The greatness of this love is seen in the fact that God sent his only son. God sent his only son. And the word there only is, I mean, here we have just begotten. Well, there are, there are theological reasons for that. But it communicates the idea of uniqueness. That God had many angels, but there was one son. There was only one son. One son in whom he had that Trinitarian relationship with. That Trinitarian love was with only one son, and God sent this one son. God released of himself that is true love. 
God gave of himself that is true love. This was the great gift of the Father, the Son. The greatness of this love is also seen in the fact that God sent that his only Son, not just for the vague mission, but to die for sinners. John says he was the propitiation for our sins. What does that mean? That there is a payment that sinners ought to make for their sins. But God sent his own son to make that payment. That God himself looked at sinners who have sinned against him, who have violated his law, and God himself went down to die for them. This is great love. He didn't say, oh, maybe they should try to do half of it. No, 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 no. He sent his only son. He came into this world, he was not popular. He was not influential. He came into this world in the worst of conditions, and God sent him to die. God did not hold back that which was precious to him. The fact, the greatness of this love is seen also in the fact that God sent his only son not to die for good sinners, but for undeserving sinners. Verse 10 a. He says, Not that we have loved God. This is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. We were not good. We were not kind. We were not nice to God. We were not obedient to God. We were properly rebels. And God loved us and sent His Son when there was not a single thing likable in us. He sent His Son for undeserving. In fact, he sent his son for unwilling, for stubborn, rebellious sinners. And he loved us when there was nothing in us. But then it is also seen in the fact that he sent his son to give us life. That we were dead people, properly dead as a result of the sinful nature in us. Dead in our sins and trespasses, as Apostle Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, and under God's judgment, God sent his son. God sent his son to die for sinful men. And those of us who are in him, we have been loved by God. And John says, this is a reason for us to love. How is this a reason? In two ways. First of all, it's a reason because we have been loved. This is the argument of the Bible over and over again. You have been shown mercy, show mercy. You have been loved, loved. Verse 11. He said, if God so loved us, what is our excuse? We also ought to love one another. We have been loved. We have been loved in a way that no human being in our lives have loved us. There's no human being who comes and loves you for nothing, really. Loves you for nothing, just let me just love you in spite of who you are. That's, that's not, it's not present. Even in the best of marriages, in the best of marriages, because of our sinfulness, there's no loving for nothing. There's no free love. The day the man says, you're no longer giving me this thing, there's an issue. The woman says, I'm no longer getting, there's an issue. For God's love is free. Poured upon us. Poured upon us in Christ. In its fullness, why they should be not love? But then, this is a reason to love because God has shown us how to love. God has shown us how to love. For us to say, oh, I don't know how to love. God has shown us in his manifestation, in the manifestation of his love, how to love. In other words, John is saying, we ought to love by imitation. 
So we don't have to reinvent the by asking, okay, how do I know? Well, look at what God did. What did God do in his loving? Well, God loves your lovable. That's how to love. God loves your lovable. God loves the unappealing, the undeserving. And so when we are asking ourselves, hey, how can I love? Well, be like God and go to the unlovable. Those who refuse to be loved. Those who continue to resist love. We have to love to the degree of self-sacrifice. God did not love only in words. Ah, I know what you are going through. Nigeria is hard. God did not love only in words. God loved in deed. He took his soul, saw our plight as sinners. The fact that we could not cut, we could not bridge the gap between us and God, and God gave his son. God did not say, do me, I do you. I was listening to somebody recently. He said, there's a popular thing. Do me, I do you. God will go first. Which God? Which God? God came in Christ, manifested his love. The highest display, man has ever seen of love. And John says, this is a reason to love. John gives us a third reason why we ought to love. So we ought to love because God is love, because God has love, but also because God will reveal his love. God will reveal his love. Look at verse 12. He says, no one has ever seen God. So, that is the main phrase that will help us understand the rest of the sentence. He said, no one has ever seen God. Ah, but you want to tell us some people saw God. Yes, but not God in his essence. No one has ever seen God as God is. What they had in the Old Testament were Revelations, the openings of Christ, of God. So you have the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament. You have uh, Moses seeing the back of God. You have Jacob wrestling with God. But no man has ever seen God. Exodus chapter 33, verse 20. God was saying to Moses, You cannot see my face, for man shall not see me and live. So John starts with this story by telling us, first of all, that no man has ever seen God. And the reason why is not because something is wrong with God, because we will see God eventually. It is because of our corruption and our sinfulness. It is impossible for anybody to see God in his essence, God as he is. But guess what? When we love, men will see God. That's the argument of this stuff. That the way for men to see God is through my love and your love. The sinful world will see God as they see God loves, loving in us, and loving through us. See, friends, not everybody will have the opportunity to hear a gospel sermon. So, today, millions of people are in churches, right? But how many will hear the gospel? But guess how they will see God? Through our lives. Through our loving. God will reveal himself through our loving one another as Christians. Is it not sad sometimes that we, after closing from church, we go to our unbelieving friends and report the church deacon mm-hmm. and report the church pastor? And say, no, that one is my real friend. We are in first his primary school, but that's an unbeliever. We are in first his secondary school. Ah, you know what that person did for me when I did my wedding? The person did not sleep for five days. And something happens in the community of believers. 
and then we take that thing and take it to the unbeliever and say, This is what happened. You know what the unbeliever thinks? Ah, oh, in short, we're all the same. Oh. Ah, all of us are the same. And now we don't even give you principles to apply. Now, the next time she talks like this, talk like this back. The next time he talks like this, do like this. When he beats you, be looking down. Well, be looking up. We do, and so, we do, and, and what? Ah, so this church, eh, we are all the same. All of us forget it. Somebody recently reported speech said to me that all pastors are the same. They are all the same. I thought this one was different. I thought this one was different. I thought, but I assembled all of them and they are all the same. The reason why people can say such things is because we are not loving. They look at us and they see the exact same thing that they see in the world. I've learned by experience that love is not necessarily being an extrovert. I've been in church all my life. Love is not being an extrovert. Something happened to me not very long ago. When I was talking with somebody, right? And then the person was praising something and saying, well done. And I went so I did not leave the area or and this is in church. And the same person that said 10 minutes ago, well done, said, this one is just wasting his time. Doesn't know what to do. And I said, ah, in church. Yes. So when someone is coming and saying, sometimes our love is full of hypocrisy. Let's be honest. When the person turns their back, how does the truth test of whether we actually love? When the person is no longer there, and somebody brings a report about that person, I say, do you know that uh, Brother America is like this? I say, my brother, I saw his here. He has been doing this thing over and over again. It's just that me, I don't like to talk. That's not love. I don't like to talk. Even if I talk, they will say, I have anger issues. So I just I don't like to talk. I will say, that is love. An American pastor tells the story of when, during one time, he was preparing a Christmas card. So it's something they do a lot, we don't do it. He was preparing Christmas cards, and then a deacon was helping him out. And so he was making the cards to certain people, certain people. And then the deacon picked one of the cards and said, Pastor! You are sending to this brother? Is it brother that spoke your name six months ago? He's the one that did this to you. I said, yes, I forgive him. I know he has hurt me. But we move on. And so if I'm going to treat this person this way, I'm going to treat the other person that exact way. Let our love be real. If our love is not real, it is not love. If our love is just in talk, and an outward displays of affection, when we hate people, but we think it is self-control, when we have all resentment in our hearts, and we think it's because I, I just don't want issue in this church. But even if you're creating this issue, but I don't want, I just don't want issue. And we hold grudges, and we keep holding grudges for years, and, and it's amazing. Somebody did something four years ago, and we still have it in our hearts. And when the time comes for something to be done, say, but you know this guy, he did something to me four years ago. Then our love be real. When our love is real and genuine, John says it is then, verse 12, the latter part of verse 12, that God's love is perfected in us. What does it mean? See, the end of God's loving us is that we love one another. When God loves us and we don't love one another, there is a, a breaking of circuits. It's a very common passage, right? 
The reason why some of these sockets are not working is because we broke down this wall. So the pipe that took electricity from the box there in the lobby and came through here was broken. And so the reason you have power coming through here is because there's no power coming through here. If there's a breaking between God loving us and us loving one another, then it's not perfect. God's love is not complete. When we love, people will see God and God's love will reach its fullness. There is proper fruitfulness. The end to which we have been loved is that we love. The reason why God loves us is that we love one another. And then that's when love is complete. Friends, let our love be real. And John urges us to love, first of all, because God is love, and everything that flows from God, including his children, they have that resemblance. Because God has loved us in Christ. He has loved us properly and shown us how to love. And because when we love, God's love reaches its proper end. That's John's exhortation for us. But I have a big thoughts before we close this morning. And I speak to the old believer who is hearing this thing. John says in this is love that God sent his son. True love. That God sent his son. That God sent his son. God did not ask you to do anything. He took the initiative and sent his son. And in his son, he has promised you eternal life. He has promised you true satisfaction. He has promised you true fulfillment. Why do we go from relationship to relationship if not because of this thing? We are seeking true love. We are looking for where there is love. We draw from friend to friend to friend. And anytime I see this thing, I just know it's an unbeliever. If you don't love me, I don't love you. You show me love. I know this person just no true love. In God, there is true love in His Son. And He sent Him to die for you. If you have ever wanted to experience true love, it is in Christ. If you ever want to know what love is really, it is in Christ. And I urge you to come to Him and put your faith in Him. No man will love you like He does. No woman will love you like He does. God has given His Son. And those who come to His Son are accepted. Won't you come and enjoy this benefit this morning? But I will speak also to the believers in the house. I think we have a lot of repenting to do. We have a lot of. And I'm saying this because I'm not just saying because I've been in church and I've seen people, but because I'm also repenting people. It's time for leadership. <laughs> All of a sudden, I have everybody's phone number. And I'm calling people Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Come to my house. Come on, I want you to come and have lunch. Come and have dinner. How are you doing? I mean, all of a sudden, I know your real problems. I've done it. And I'm repenting of it. Some of the things we call love is just hypocrisy, double facedness. And God asks us to repent and let our love be real. Let us stop this hypocrisy we do on Sunday. We laugh with people. In the middle of the week, we have changed our face. And then we come on Sunday and say, set your face. And then we have issues with people in church. Issues looking for years. And we don't want to resolve the issues. We just realize that this person is crazy. I don't want to associate with this person. No, that's not love. That's not Christian love. This person is bad, though. I don't, I don't want issues. That's not Christian love. Christian love will love your love people. And we should stop asking what's in it for me. Love. Let us truly love. And I shared this story with us before. One Roman emperor 
wanted to understand who the Christians were, and they were Hadrian. And so he hired a philosopher, a Roman philosopher, and said, Go and investigate these guys. And the Roman philosopher, sorry, I can't read the entire thing for us, it's quite long. He said a lot of things about Christians. He got to the point where there's a book in the office called In Who You where the record of that philosopher is seen. And he says the Christian loves so much that they will pursue believers to the point that all believers become saved, and then they will fast two or three days so that the poor will have food to eat. And then he ended by telling the emperor, Look how they love one another. Love is our witness to this world. But we are big on social media every day. God will help us. Let us approach him and ask him for help this morning. Our Father, we have heard these words that are really beyond us. In and of ourselves, we cannot love as you have commanded us to. We are full of bitterness and pride and envy. We are really difficult people. So we find it difficult to receive and to give love. Lord, we ask for your help. That as your people will be marked by love. And that this love will be a witness to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray.